This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Judy Cho and I am board certified in holistic nutrition. I work with clients to get to root cause healing and oftentimes that starts with healing the gut with a meat based elimination diet. Okay, so today is community QA number five.、Um, I collect this information from DMs, from messages, from stories, and even from comments within the YouTube channel. So make sure to get your questions in so that I can answer them at least once a month. Okay, first question. Hey, Judy, big fan of your work. In your stories, thank you. In your stories, you shared that you review blood work based on carnivore ranges. Yes, it's a service I provide. I can review people's blood work ranges and it、um, has a fee. And then I'll do a write up based on recommendations within a carnivore framework. So, can you explain why my A1C is going up? Yes. So, for most people, A1C tends to drop on a carnivore diet, especially if you've ever had metabolic disease, if you struggled with type 2 diabetes. But for some people, your A1C can actually go up on a carnivore diet. So, one of the shortcomings of the A1C test in general is that the assumption is that red blood cells' average lifespan will be about 120 days. The thing is that for many people, 120 days does not really work. For the average person that's eating a standard American diet or that may have diabetes, their red blood cell lifespan may actually be less than 120 days. So the faster the cell dies, a new cell will come and then the weighted average of the blood glucose will be different. For people with normal blood sugar and people with Better blood sugar balance, like for those on carnivore or even a ketogenic diet, their red blood cells can tend to live a little bit longer. And when they live a little longer, they will accumulate more sugar within the red blood cell. Now, that's not to say that if your A1C is 7.0 or something above like 5.5, that's ideal. I don't think it is. But in general, if your A1C is going up, 
a little bit more. So if your A1C was 4.7 or 8 on a ketogenic diet, but it's around 5.3 on a carnivore, I wouldn't worry about it that much. It's likely that your red blood cells are living a little bit longer. Now you may want to check your insulin and other markers that can kind of validate that this is what's going on within the body. But the other thing about the A1C test is that the A1C is a weighted average. So where the flaw in that is, is that the last or the latest 30 days of your blood glucose levels in your cells will weigh more than what it did in the last 90 or last 120 days. So if you've been eating pretty clean for about four months or three to four months, but the last 30 days weren't as ideal, your A1C will likely be higher than that overall range. These are little nuances that actually matter to someone that does a carnivore diet because our A1C tends to run a little bit higher. And the first thought is, oh no, this way of eating is making my blood sugar rise and therefore it is not ideal. But again, this goes back to a lot of the conversations I make that maybe the measurements we are going by and the standards we are going by are no longer apply to people that eat a meat-based diet or a diet that has very little to no carbohydrates. I hope that answers your question, but that may be one of the reasons why A1C is going up and it's not a bad thing, but if it's a lot more than expected, so if it's above 6.0, there may be other factors that are coming into play. I forgot to mention, if you like my shirt, it says peoples. Um, I believe that I try to stand for the people and I consider myself the people's nutritionist, but this is from people's choice beef jerky and they are based in LA. If you know, um, I was born and raised in LA. This reminds me of the Dodgers and I just had to get this shirt. If you like the shirt, you can always get it at people's choice beef jerky. They have my favorite old fashioned beef jerky. There is some seasoning, but there is no sugar, nothing added to it. Their jerky is yummy and I love this shirt and they have a few other shirts that you may like. I'll put the information in the links below. Okay. Number two, when do you anticipate taking new clients? So in the last few months, my waiting list has actually doubled or close to doubled. And so I'm, and so I'm not really sure to be really honest. I've been working with my current clients and then people that buy tests um, through me. And then I write them reports and details of what their protocol should be. But outside of that, I'm also working on the food toxin database where you can search basically any food and what anti-nutrients it has, as well as what diets it's permitted part of. And it will help you to determine what foods and plants to actually add back in over time. It is a true reintroduction rather than because someone put an image out there saying these are the safest foods to introduce. Other than that, I am really focused on bringing a carnivore cure program to the community where it will have a lot of the elements of Carnivore 75 hard, but a lot more than that. It will be a lot of hands-on focusing on really improving and getting to root cause in a community-based, very intensive program. So the goal is that that will release, and then I will slowly be letting go of individual clients, except for those that really need my help that are really, really unwell. I think I will always have a place for those people in my world of things because it's just the people that I'd like to help that may not be able to get help from others. So to answer your question, um, the best way to probably work with me at this point is to get my symptom burden or to get a test and I can read your information from a carnivore perspective and give you protocols and macros and, and then work with you 
through email back and forth questions. I don't see myself opening up my one-on-one in the long-term future. I try to put out a lot of content, make sure to follow my newsletter. I always share my musings of the week that has a lot of up-to-date info and research that I'm looking into. And so there may be other nuggets in there that can help you get to root cause healing or find other levers to get you to root cause healing. Number three, there are some influencers that are saying keto long-term is bad. Your thought? I don't think keto long-term is bad if you do it the proper way. And that means proper nourishment, not under eating. The danger with keto, I think the biggest danger is that it's really easy to under eat and not eat well and not nourish the body because your body doesn't feel that hunger anymore. And so it doesn't have that hormonal effect to go get food because you're not as hungry. So then it becomes really easy to under eat. And if you struggle with that, that's where maybe keto won't be ideal. But for so many illnesses and disease out there, keto is such a therapeutic tool. That doesn't mean that you need to be keto all the time. If you eat meat every single day, and sometimes you eat two pounds, sometimes you eat one and a half, sometimes you add a ton of fat, and sometimes you just eat the leaner meats, you're not going to always be in ketosis 24-7 because the protein can be insulogenic, higher fat with moderate amounts of protein that are probably higher than what the ketogenic diet world would allow would still be more that it would cause a higher insulogenic effect that you will not always be in ketosis. The real big key is how you feel. If you don't feel well and you've been doing it long-term and you are honest with yourself, then that's a sign that maybe this diet isn't right for you, or maybe the levers you haven't pulled need to be pulled. But other than that, it may just be okay to just add other foods. But to say that something is dangerous for you, that's the first red flag for me that something else is going on. The thing is, even a vegan diet can actually work for some people. If you supplement well, and you're very strategic with the foods to get the nutrients and supplement and get the B12 and get some fat in, then vegan diets may actually work but it's a very hard way to get nutrition. And again, if I were to say no vegan diet would work for anyone, that should be a red flag on me. And I don't say that. I say it's a very hard diet to follow. It's the most bio unavailable form of a diet, but I never say it will not work for anyone because there are people that actually thrive on a vegan diet, but I think they're very strategic about it. Does low carb cause hormonal imbalances? I've done so many videos and interviews around this topic. So I will put some in the show notes, but the essential answer is no. If you are under eating over exercising, and I found studies where basically they showed that if some people that are healthy start to exercise and under eat for a period of time, they see a drop in their thyroid markers, their T3. I'll put the study in the notes, but Essentially, the biggest differentiator was, yes, your thyroid markers can go down for those reasons, but if those same people were eating sufficiently, but still keeping up the excessive exercise, their thyroid markers normalize. So what does that mean? That means likely that if you eat sufficiently, if you eat enough fat, if you eat enough protein, then you might probably be okay eating a carnivore diet. And so is it the low carbs? I don't think so. I think it may be more that people under eat. The thing is, when you eat a lot of carbohydrates in a diet, you start to feel hangry. So even if you wanted to under eat, it becomes really hard because you are hungry for more food. And so therefore you go and get more food. Now, is the food ideal? 
oftentimes not because there's less nutrient density. There may be more toxins from the plant world, maybe more anti-nutrients, but you end up eating more. And a lot of people often gain weight. I see people in the repeat world that believe that low carb is so damaging for our thyroid and hormones. I tend to see people gain weight in, on that diet. So I mean, could you have gained weight on the carnivore diet? Absolutely. Just eat more meat, eat more fat and eat more protein. So is it actually the diet itself? No, I don't think so. Chemical hormone replacement for menopause or natural herbs. So the thing about menopause is that your endocrine system, essentially the ovaries are like, I am going to retire. And so adrenals, I need you to take over the hormone production for me. And so that handoff, if your adrenals have been balanced until that point, it'll do okay. You won't have as much of the hot flashes. The heat will be much less extreme if your adrenals are ready to take over that hormone production. But if you've been leaning on your adrenals that also manage your cortisol levels, that also manage your salt levels and also manage your stress levels. But if it's been managing that and overexerting itself, then once it starts having to also handle the production of the hormones from the ovaries, then it's going to be kaput. Question of herbals or medication, I would say focus around that time to make sure that you're eating sufficient fat because cholesterol is needed to produce cortisol for the adrenals and also for all the sex hormones. So make sure that you're eating sufficient fat, you're eating sufficient proteins, you're not eating a ton of excess sugar and processed foods that are a tax on the cortisol to help regulate your blood sugar, if you can do that, and then also manage the stressors in your life, right? So if you're constantly in your head about stress, then that will be another stressor releasing more cortisol. Remember, your body does not know the difference between perceived stress and the stress that's in your head. So you want to make sure that you are also reducing stress within your life. If you do those things, your menopause situation should be improved. I know a lot of people say that if you just eat carnivore, that your perimenopause and menopause symptoms will be less. I think that's true, but also stress, perceived, mental, physical, all of that should also be reduced to improve your situation. Now, if it's chemical hormone replacement or herbs, I tend to lean more towards herbs, but herbs itself can also be damaging like antifungals, herbals and stuff they can actually do as much damage as antibiotics. Maybe not all the way as damaging as antibiotics, but it can do some damage as well. So work with your doctor, make sure that they are on the same page as you and, you know, read all of the good and bads of both before you make your decision. But the root cause is if you work on the stress, you work on balancing your blood sugar levels, you balance your stress levels and you balance your sex hormones, you may not need to be taking those things. Fruit and honey, yay or nay? I've talked about this, I believe, in um, episode four, so I'm not going to go through this. I think it's really bio-individual. I think in general, you don't want to be eating a lot of fruit and honey. There's a lot of fructose, and fructose can do damage, and I have posts and videos that talk about that. I know there's people that always talk about indigenous people eating fruit and honey, but those people also only eat it when they are able to get it. And it's usually just two to three months out of the year. So that means that maybe three months out of the year, you have the fruit and honey, but that means for the rest of the months that you don't. So protein isn't the energy source. Why is that? Hey guys, just to let you know, my carnivore cure book is back in stock. For nine months, it was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. 
We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. So protein is a building block for the body. It breaks down into amino acids. And yes, it can be used for energy. So proteins can be broken down to gluconeogenesis, and then it could be stored as sugars and energies and so on and so forth. But the main reason we consume proteins is building blocks to build things within our body. The main sources of energy for the body is fats and sugars. So if you are eating a carbohydrate rich diet, a standard American diet, a diet that just allows a lot of fruits and carbohydrates, then your primary fuel source will be the glucose or the glycogen and all of those types of sugars within the body. If you are not eating glucose or carbohydrates, then your main source of energy should be from fats. Fats can directly be converted into energy. And if you look at the Krebs cycle, it explains it in much more detail, but it's not protein. Protein is more of a building block and it's, it can be used for energy, but that is why When you break down proteins within the body, it takes a lot of resources and you feel ravenous inside. It's because you're burning some of the food and fuel that you're eating so that it can even be broken down. That's why a lot of people, when they eat lean proteins, they're always hungry. You don't absorb or you don't utilize all the energy from the calories as energy. You actually use it to help break down the nutrients. So that's where protein isn't as ideal as when you use fat. Fasting, best time for women throughout the cycle. So you are more insulin sensitive at the very beginning of your period, and you are more insulin resistant close to right before you get your period. The thought is that the best time to fast is on your period or like right when you start your period and just around that time. And you also have this upswing of energy because you're more insulin sensitive. So you can do a lot more exercise and that type of stuff, but you should figure out what works for you. So you can start on day one of your period or around that time and see if it is easier to fast. But I always say you should listen to your own body. I don't think back into the day, they knew all this science and they were still fasting. Now, if you do it at the latter half of the month and you don't feel well, that's maybe a reason why it's not working as well. And just a side note, you can also use that thought process to um, add carbs and add fats and protein. So some of my clients, um, a little bit before their period, they know that they're more insulin resistant, their blood sugar is going to go up a little bit more. So they start lowering the protein just a little bit and adding more fat so they could sleep better through the night. And they're not waking up because their blood sugar is a little bit more imbalanced. And then once they get their period and they sleep better then they eat a little bit more protein and they could reduce the fat. All of these things, though, I think are nuances that you want to try later on when things aren't working as well, or when you're trying to fine tune even further, but not when you are first starting. It's just way too many steps and informations and nuances that get way too complicated when you're first starting out. Cheese on carnivore, yes or no? I wrote several blog posts on dairy and I will link to it. In general, I am a fan of raw dairy. I know it's not easy to access all the time, but raw dairy has all the little microbes and the little enzymes that will help digest nutrients as well as just beneficial overall. But for the most of us, we have only access to regular dairy. So it really depends. If you are struggling with weight gain, dairy may not be your friend. I've seen way too many clients where dairy is just stalling them. Dairy can also cause inflammation for some people. It just is a sensitivity and people just don't assimilate as well to dairy that's been pasteurized and homogenized, like shredded cheese has added things to it, even potato starch. So 
with all of these things, for some people, they react and some people it's fine and there's no issue and it helps them stay the course of a meat-based or meat-only diet. You have to find what works for you. I say do an elimination where you remove dairy for about two weeks, see how you feel, get the baseline, write it down, and then slowly introduce it. Have a little at lunch and then have a little at dinner. See what has changed from the two weeks that you've been documenting. All of a sudden, if you're getting joint pain or if you feel inflammation, you feel swelling a little bit. I would say still consistently eat the dairy and have no other changes in your diet for three to five days. And if you constantly feel that joint pain, inflammation, just general unwellness, it may be time to cut the dairy. The other option then is to just add raw dairy and do that same thing. And raw dairy may not have that effect on you. Now, You have to be careful with raw dairy because some people can get sick from it. So just make sure to trust your farmer. We've gone to the same farmer for now six years and our children drink raw goat's milk every single day and they have never gotten sick from that milk. A topical creams for face, animal fats versus plant oils. Um, I am more concerned about the toxins that are added to the oils and the oil itself, right? So if you use for example, saturated fats from tallow versus if you use it from high quality, unrefined coconut oil, they may not be that different, but it's when they add all of the other fillers, that's more concerning. So I would actually use the two apps that I recommend for any personal care. So it's called the Think Dirty app, as well as Healthy Living app from the Environmental Working Group. And those two will talk about products and the chemicals in it. What you can always do is look at the specific ingredients to see if it's in your product and if you want to decide if you want to use that product. I say minimalism is key to our face. I mean, we have our skin microbiome, which is the biggest surface space of of all of our body. And you want to make sure that you're not touching things and using things on our microbes to kill them. So, So I'm not as worried about the oil, but more about what's within the oil in these products. Carnivore diet and the effect on the microbiome. I talked about this in a previous Q and a, so I am going to just punt that over there. I also have a whole series with Kieran Krishnan about the microbiome and he talks in depth about that. Um, I've done so many stool tests where we see the markers of butyrate for acromensia and they range in every which way with all of my clients. And it's not like every single person that has high acromensia is thin. It's not like that at all. So I would not, you know, bet the whole farm on these markers and that you need prebiotic fibers and fibers for your gut health, because I just don't see it to be true. Swallowing beef liver whole is that ideal for digestion? My supplements with all of my clients, I always recommend um, you have neural feedback from your tongue. You write, you have a flavor in your mouth and it, you can taste it. And that's a message from the brain. So I always recommend for my clients to put their supplement on their tongue and then chew it and then swallow it so that the brain kind of knows what's coming down the pipeline and that it is more efficacious when you are digesting and then absorbing those nutrients. Now you can't do that with all supplements. So for example, you can't do it with hydrochloric acid. You will acidify your teeth and you can't do that with, I think it was oregano oil as well, but there's certain ones that you can't, but in general, if your supplements are high quality and they should be, Uh, You should be able to chew them and then you can even open the capsule and put that flavor on your tongue and then just swallow it after a few seconds on your tongue and your body will know and it'll be more efficacious. Now, in terms of beef liver whole, yes, you can do that. If you have it on your tongue for a few seconds before you swallow, your body will smell and taste the liver and then you can 
swallow it, but I'm not the biggest fan of consuming liver every single day. I think you can get vitamin A toxicity. And if you have any liver imbalances, you can even worsen the overall liver health. And I've talked about this in numerous videos and episodes. So I just would say, why are you consuming the liver? If you are consuming maybe one ounce a week, I think that should be fine for most people. But if you're eating more than that, what's the reason? If it's just for super optimal health, um, there are consequences with eating too much liver. What do you know about hives from allergies? So allergies from your skin is a same response as allergies within the body. If you've eaten, if you have a food sensitivity and you react with hives, then that can mean that it's a histamine response, right? Histamines really just mean any type of allergy response to something. It could be from the air, the environment, the food, something that you took in. So if you are getting hives, I don't know what you mean exactly by this question, but if you go outside and you start scratching, you may have sensitivities to some pollen or dander from the air. If you eat something after maybe an hour or maybe even less than that, actually, and you start getting hives, that can be a sign that you are sensitive to your foods. I would look at carnivore cures, elimination, and then reintroduction process and follow that and then see what you can identify that can um, be causing some of your hives. Hives is a very quick and easy way that your body is saying that something you ate, something you've been exposed to, your body is not happy with. There are some histamine supports. I will put one down below. Recently, one of my clients said that they are very sensitive to yogurt. So even full fat yogurt, when they eat it, they would start scratching right after they took the supplement. And then I guess the first or second time they took it, they stopped itching after the supplement. Now, if you've been carnivore for a few years and all of a sudden you eat something not so ideal, like let's say you have something with seed oils and then you get highs, that doesn't mean that now you have a histamine response. It can mean that your body is now functioning at such an efficient level that when you eat something that your body doesn't like, it's going to tell you immediately. If you add diesel to an unleaded fuel car, you're, you're going to notice the less than ideal functioning of that car in the same vein that can happen with your body. When you are eating a diet of processed foods, you have aches and pains and low energy and low mood, and you don't know what's up from down. But when you start feeling consistently good, when you add something that's less than ideal, you will notice it immediately. That does not mean that this diet made you more sensitive, but now that you're functioning so well, you will notice days that are less than ideal. And that's when those moments remind you why a zero carb meat only diet is so powerful. Hair loss and prevention. So the biggest reason I see hair loss in this community is under eating. People eat just so much protein and not enough fat. And then I start seeing the hair loss very quickly. And on top of just the excessive protein, it's also a lot of under eating. So if you're not eating enough calories, or if you don't have gut health, and so you're not digesting and absorbing those nutrients, all of those things then can cause you to have hair loss. There are some studies that show that omega threes can help with hair loss. So eating fatty fish and salmon and salmon roe and sardines, these things can possibly help with hair loss. There are other nutrients as well. Zinc is another one, B5, biotin, vitamin C, iron, and vitamin D. All of these things can affect hair loss. Now you can supplement with all of them, but that's obviously not ideal. The thing is that if you are not absorbing, you may be deficient in these nutrients. If you don't have gut health, you can't break down your meat into zinc. 
If you cannot get zinc, you cannot produce that much hydrochloric acid, and then you won't have the stomach acid to break down your meat. And it's this vicious cycle. Hair loss can be a lot of things, but the overarching thing I see the common reason is under eating, under eating. And then that causes hypothyroidism and hypothyroidism can completely cause hair loss. And one of the ways that hypothyroid can occur is not enough protein, not enough calories and uh, not enough iodine. So make sure that you have good gut health, make sure you're getting proper nutrition and um, that you're absorbing your nutrients as well. Puffy swelling face and body. Why? So puffy face can be several things. It could be that you're having a histamine response. It could be an allergy related reason. It could also be related to hypothyroid. So once things start breaking down in terms of the thyroid or hormones, you may be holding in more water than is ideal. So you'll have to look at what is causing it. That's, this is where I think a food and mood journal is great, where you just document what you're eating and see what days are you having bloat and swelling. And sometimes it could be what you're eating. Sometimes it could be stress related for some people. If you're not sleeping enough, then you can have a swollen face the next morning. So figure out what's going on. Tracking sometimes in this way can be really helpful. I'm seven months into this diet and is dry mouth a thing. So dry mouth can occur because of medications. Um, sometimes as we eat this way, we are not as thirsty. For some reason, the, um, the carbohydrates with salt make you very thirsty. So imagine those days when we used to eat a lot of Chinese food like Panda Express or those types of fast foods, you get really thirsty after and you don't get that thirsty on a carnivore diet. I still think you need to drink a sufficient amount of water. Yes, listen to your body, but the ideal amounts of half of your body weight in ounces, you want to make sure and hydrate well so that your mouth is not really dry. So make sure that you are getting enough electrolytes, make sure maybe you do a little bit of sole water with water, but make sure to drink enough water. And sometimes if you produce a lot of ketones and you're fasting often, then you can feel that dry mouth. It's a little bit of a sweet breath on your mouth. And you'll know there's a difference between just dry mouth and that kind of you're producing ketones from your mouth. So um, just see if the hydration and the lack of electrolytes is a factor. And otherwise it might just be that you are producing a lot of ketones. So I would track, you can do a breathalyzer and check your ketones from your breath and then see how that is. Or you can even check it in your blood. Herbal treatments or supplements for SIBO. I would recommend herbals with a carnivore diet, but I will put show notes to multiple SIBO, SIBO conversations. Okay. Last one thoughts on natural psychedelics. I know there's people that microdose. Um, I in general am not as familiar with all of that area. I think if you are healthy, maybe it'll be okay, but I like for the body to do things naturally. Sorry, that wasn't the greatest answer, but I don't normally really use or recommend psychedelics and drugs to help improve things. The thing is, life is already hard as it is. We have to figure out why we're using these psychedelics. If it's a way to kind of cope or get through days or to band-aid situations, then that's when it's not as ideal. We should find happiness and joy in our lives as it is without filters, without anything added to it. If you are using psychedelics for creativity and other things, that'll be something different. But if it's to actually cope and have a better day, I always say get to root cause. Okay, guys, this is the end of Q&A number five. Make sure to check out Q&A number six in about a month. I hope that this is helpful for you guys. And I hope this answers your questions. All right, guys, you know the drill. Make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you guys later. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com slash articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.